Well, good morning, everyone. Um, nice to see everybody out this morning who's here. Those who are tuning in, good morning as well. I know we have quite a few folks who are out for different reasons. Let's make sure we're checking in our church family. Um, there's quite a bit of uh, illness going around. Weather changes is uh, tough on people. Um, I know some people are uh, traveling and other places, so uh, reach out, let them know that we missed them. And, uh, but I'm glad you're here this morning. I trust it's going to be a blessing to, uh, to each of us for being here today. I trust that the Lord will use our time together. Um, so we join me in prayer uh, before we go to the Word. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you, and uh, we're just so grateful for your, your love, your mercy, uh, because of which we are here this morning. Um, thankful for salvation in Jesus and for your, your Word and your Holy Spirit, Lord, that uh, teach us all things. God, we are grateful for this opportunity to be here this morning, and I'm, I'm thankful for uh, the chance to stand before your people and to present a message from your word. We just pray that this time would be uh, glorifying to you, would be edifying to the body. Pray that as uh, this message is delivered, that it would be your words um, through my mouth, Lord, spoken to those around us. Pray for those who are um, not well, those who are struggling with different things, that you would even be with them this morning um, if they would, are watching remotely um, through the live stream. And those who uh, may just be getting, catching up on rest, Lord, we just pray that you administer your people through this time. We just pray that everything is honoring and glorifying to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so we uh, are going to be continuing our study in First John today. Um, uh, kind of picking up where we left off last week. Um, it was good seeing Reuben last week. John Joyce having him here. That was good. Yeah. Um, he is still doing well. And uh, he's got another couple of weeks of travel before he heads back. Um, it was good to have him. And uh, so we began our look at the first six verses of 1 John 4. And so that's where we're going to pick up again. So if you have your Bibles, feel free to make your way to 1 John chapter 4. And we'll be uh, reading those verses in just a few minutes. Um, but uh, quick review, as we saw last week, um, we learned about the different kinds of spirits out there. Not all of them are of the Holy Spirit. There are false prophets and false spirits and false teachers. And we learned about a certain kind of test. Anybody remember the test we learned last week? The acid test. That's right. I won't go into the chemistry of that, but we learned about that. And uh, that acid test is one who confesses Jesus or not. And so um, that is certainly a starting place for us in evaluating, um, you know, those we might work with or partner with or listen to um, or, uh, you know, get into a close relationship with. Um, that's the acid test is the confess, do they confess Jesus? Um, today we're going to look a little deeper and John is going to sharpen the lines a little bit more for us. And um, we're going to see a little more um, criteria. And then we're also going to talk, he gives us some encouraging words about overcoming and uh, so we're going to look at these today. So let's start off with uh, just reading the passage. We'll read uh, the first six verses, if you'll stand together. And um, we'll read these. should be on the screen. Um, so if you like, just join with me. And let's uh, read these verses together, 1 John 4, 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. You may be seated. Thank you. So again, as we saw last week, um, talking about you know these false prophets, false teachers. So remember the context of what we're talking about here is that this is the context. It's not just all the, the lost people in the world, although we're going to get into that. But the specific focus here is on the false teachers that were trying to come into this congregation to which John was writing. And when it comes to teachers and leaders and those people who are espousing to lead others, there is a, a higher standard. Um, and John here lays out the idea that, you know, someone who is teaching and who rejects Jesus, um, they're, they're not just misinformed. They're not just confused. Okay? Um, if, if you're a teacher and you fail this acid test, then the Bible says that you are anti-Christ. You are against Christ. You're putting yourself and your teaching in the place of Christ. And this is a, a serious charge. So I want us to enter into this study understanding that it's serious. It's not a casual thing. It's not something, well, take it or leave it. This is fundamental to our faith, and we should approach it with that seriousness that it deserves. So getting right into uh, verse 5, we see that um, they are from the world. Again, speaking of these spirits, these false prophets, false teachers of the Antichrist. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. So what does this mean that they are from the world and the world listens to them? They speak to the world. What is this? It's the idea that in the world system, the sinful world, these prophets, these teachers, they speak the same language. Okay? Um, and this is not the idea. Sometimes it's easy to uh, you know, put this structure onto our polit- po- politics, and it's not a political matter. Um, they bleed over, and certainly we don't want to compartmentalize so that you know, our um, beliefs and our theology and our religion don't bleed over in our politics, but it's, it's much more than that. Um, this is not an idea of conservative or progressive. It doesn't matter. There are people who can espouse the world's teachings and speak from the world on both sides of that fence. Okay? Um, now, I believe when we have a biblical understanding, we will lean towards one side more than the other side. Um, but let's make sure we understand that just because someone lines up with your political views does not necessarily mean you just, just listen to everything they say, hook, line, and sinker, because if they still should, we still need to apply that acid test to them to see if they are confessing Jesus. Because um, a lot of people who just speak, you know, I happen to be a conservative, and... Um, there are a lot of people who can speak conservative principles and ideas who would fail the acid test. People who could you know, purport these or affirm the same political ideals that I hold, but when it comes to their relationship with Jesus, they're, they're falling short. They are of the world. And it's easy for me to say, oh, well, we're, we're, we're common spirits. Well, there may be some common ground, but it's not on, it's on shifting sands. Sinking sands, the political climate can change like that. Okay? But the truth of Scripture will not change and will endure. 
this worldview, the philosophy, um, the wisdom that people espouse and hold to that, that drives their actions and their beliefs, it's either from Jesus or it's from the world. There, there's not really a middle ground here. So what does this worldly speak sound like? You know, they, are from, they speak from the world. What does this sound like? Well, we have a few other passages that speak about this. Um, James uh, 3, 14 and 15, he says, If you harbor bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast in it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Here, this wisdom that people would hold to and espouse is basically driven by jealousy and selfish ambition. There's a lot of attitudes in the world that says, listen, you know, um, you've got to get to, you got to take care of yourself because nobody else will. And you don't worry about who you've got to hurt or push out of the way or step on to get there. And what's driving that? It's jealousy. You see what they have? Well, you should have that. You need to go get that. That's, and so this is the mindset of the world, the accumulation of things is the American dream, unfortunately. Um, and that is, I mean, James doesn't mince words. He doesn't say that's not how you ought to be. He says that's earthly, unspiritual, it's even demonic. Okay, so these are some of what this worldly speak sounds like. Um, we look into Colossians 2.8. Um, we have uh, writings from Paul that talks about it. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. <clears throat> I love uh, the way some uh, the the um, NIV says where it talks about philosophy and empty deceit, hollow and deceptive philosophy, and I really love the Amplified Bible that tacks on pseudo intellectual babble. Okay, and it's just empty words, hollow, high sounding um, philosophy and these things, but it's from human tradition. It's of our own minds. It's of our own creation. Therefore, it's always going to be um, subject to error. It's always going to be um, built on a, a, stack, a house of cards, as it were. It's never going to be something we can really base our life on. According to this um, elemental spirits of the world, you know, it's the idea that um, the naturalistic view, that there's nothing really supernatural, it's just the elements that we see in the world. Those are what it's from. And... The New Living Translation might be my favorite. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. You know, there is a lot of that in our world today. And I mention this a lot of times. Like Every time I'm up here, I'm hearing more and more and more of the world around us that espouses these empty philosophies, high-sounding nonsense you know, pseudo-intellectual babble. You know, these are the stock and trade. This is the language of the world around us today. And, you know, they want to be high-sounding, and, you know, so they'll put us down if we don't hold to those things. You know, whether it's, you know, science or culture or politics, you know, it becomes, you know, the, the language of tolerance unless you're basing your things on Scripture. We talked about that last week. We're talking about some more today, a little bit later, that we shouldn't expect them to love us and to um, agree with us. Why? Because they speak from the world. The world listens to them. 
Okay? So if we're not speaking the same language, they're not going to embrace us. They're not going to affirm us. They are going to, they're going to be pushing back. And that's what we should be expecting. The contrast, of course, to that is that we are from God. Okay? Now, there is some debate about this we. What does John mean with this we? Is it speaking of you know, we as in himself and his audience? Um, and kind of an inclusive statement that he is affirming his confidence in their faith and saying, listen, I know that's not true for us. We um, are of God. Um, some see it more as a reference to John sort of stepping back and saying we as the apostles, that we are from God and you should listen to us. Um, I don't think it's a big deal because the believing audience is taught by John and the apostles, so it would be collective, you know, exactly what the parsing out of that means. I think we definitely understand that, you know, John is saying here and affirming that, you know, the apostles, the teachings, the scriptures that are being written, this being one of them at this time, they are from God, and that we need to be listening to those things, not to the things of the world, not to those folks who speak from the world. The world will listen to them, we should not be listening to them. Contrast, of course, we are from God. Now, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. What does this look like when we think about this? You know, listen to us, not listen to us. I think the, the best example is response to the gospel. Okay, when we preach the gospel, someone's response to that message is ultimately the best indicator of their heart condition. What do we hear? 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When we hear the gospel message of Jesus' humility, of taking, leaving heaven, taking on flesh, being born as a baby, living his life on earth, a perfect, sinless life, showing love in the face of attacks and abuse and you know, condemnation, ultimately laying down his life for us, shedding his blood for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be justified before a holy God, that he died, was buried, Three days later, was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of God. When we hear that message, is that life-giving to us? Do we affirm that as a testimony to the power and the love and the mercy of God? Or do you hear that and hear, that's silly. That, that, that's pretty foolish. Okay, that's the dichotomy. That's it right there. Again, back to the acid test. When we hear this, you know, it's, it's, it's not just, oh, I don't really believe that. Those who are perishing, it's silly. It's folly. It's ridiculous. The God of the universe would come down and enter his creation, would condescend to that. Yeah, okay, it sounds silly, but it's true. Okay? There can be things that sound silly but are true. You know, no one would ever do that. Well, none of us would ever do that. But God did that. Jesus did that for us. <clears throat> we need to remember that those who are from the world have a lot in common with us. Because we were from the world at one point. You know, anyone can be uninformed, misinformed, um, 
those who belong to Jesus hear and obey the truth of Scripture. Um, as John writes in his gospel, um, the words of Jesus, this, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. So we need to not fall off on the other side of the ditch where we become arrogant in this understanding, in this truth, this recognition of the power of God that is the gospel message. And we should never let that um, drive us to, to arrogance um, or to condemnation of those, but simply a recognition that, hey, I understand that you think it's folly. There was a time I didn't understand it. There was a time that I thought it was folly. There was a time that my eyes were closed to the truth of this gospel message. And so we should be patient and loving um, in our proclamation of the gospel message. Um, there's no reason to be um, hateful and arrogant and um, holier than thou or what things people might say about us because we're no better than them except for the grace of God. You know, we, we have nothing to brag about in and of ourselves. It is all of him that we are not still in that condition of seeing it as folly. <clears throat> but we see here um, at the end of this section, this, uh, uh, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is kind of the bookend structure that John gives when he starts off in verse 2. And he says, um, by this you know the spirit of God. Okay, he talks about confessing Jesus and then confessing this and then um, not speaking of the world and the speaking like the world, but um, uh, speaking of, uh, listening to those who speak of God and this whole thing. So then the book in here, all this stuff, by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So he gives us a, a section here and talks about this, but why is he going into this? He's mentioned this a few times in his letter. And here he is again. Why is it that he keeps speaking about this? Why does he do this? Well, he reminds us why. And if we back up now to verse 4, there, he reminds us that there is a conflict. Um, there's a battle. There's a spiritual war going on. And he would not have us be ignorant of that fact. Um, but in verse 4, he reminds us, little children, you are from God and have overcome them, these false prophets. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Okay, so these are not just two groups that peacefully coexist. Um, you know, if you've seen that coexist bumper sticker, you may have seen that one. The coexist, it has all the religious symbols on it, the pagan symbols, and there's a cross at the very end. And it's like, why can't we all just get along? As though we would all be islands that never interact with each other. But that's not the fact. The fact is we're all on this earth together. We're all in this human race together. And we are called to be salt and light in the world around us. Okay? We will be interacting. Um, and the fact is John puts it in those terms. You are from God and have overcome them. That, that is language of a struggle. That is language of a conflict. <clears throat> Um, the teachers, the groups, the mindset that he's specifically um, talking about is anti-Christ. Um, they are against us. They're not just um, a Christian, as in not Christian. They are anti-Christian. They are actually against. Um, there is uh, this, this whole idea of just you know, coexisting, living, and let living. It's not in any of the philosophies that are on that um, bumper sticker. You guys have a great day. Thanks for coming out. <clears throat> uh, so guys are having to go off to work so appreciate them coming out as they are faithfully in the mornings um, the, uh, 
So, as I said, we've, we've left the world. We have been brought out of that, translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And John reminds us again in the gospel where Jesus says, If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Jesus has chosen us out of the world. Okay? If we were still in the world, they would still love us, but we're not in there anymore. That is why the world hates you. You do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. So, again, we should understand that, but we, sh- we, we, that we should expect that. But it should give us a love and a patience for those in the world who are still in the kingdom of darkness, who have not yet come to understanding the gospel, and um, should motivate us to be more faithful and more um, Christ-like in our Christian witness to those around us. Now, what does this uh, overcoming look like? I want to I want to spend a few minutes talking about this. <clears throat> Excuse me, because um, this is something that we can just kind of gloss over, you know, put on our church ears and just hear, "Oh yeah, overcome them." Yeah, greater is He is in us and greater is in the world. Yeah, but let, let's let's talk about this as far as everyday life. Um, is this simply a platitude that we sell, tell to people and then go on, or does this have real meaning in our life? So let's let's dig into this a little bit. Um, you know, overcoming, you know, uh, what are some areas in the world around us today that we see overcoming? This language, let's, let's, let's get out of the biblical language of overcoming, let's get to the real world. Okay, I'll give you one example. Yesterday, Tennessee plays Missouri in football. Man, they didn't just overcome them, they destroyed them, 66 to 24, okay? Not even close, they overcame. This is the kind of language that we think of. Conflict and overcoming. What's something else? What's another arena? What's another area which we see this? War. Yeah, absolutely. Um, real physical life and death. Um, you know, Russia invading Ukraine. Um, you know, uh, many, many conflicts in my lifetime that I've seen. Um, and uh, so, yeah, the actual war. And sometimes it's really clear. That someone overcame the other ones, and sometimes it's a little blurry, right? And, uh, okay, well, everybody gave a little, and everybody decided to quit fighting, but there was no clear-cut winner. Um, so it just depends. But, yeah, certainly war is this conflict in which we hope to overcome an enemy. What's another one? Anybody else? One or two more? Okay, so video games. Um, c- competition. Um, for sure. Uh, League of Legends, for those who didn't hear, it's a uh, um, multi-million dollar league uh, of people that play this video game. And it's broadcast all over the world. How many people are watching the last world championships? A couple hundred million, yeah. Anybody love a good uh, Jordan Peterson destroys video? Anybody ever see those, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, so you see, you know, your favorite guy destroys, and he gets in him, he gets him the zingers and the zingers, and it just left speechless, up and up and up, up, up. That's what I thought. Roe v. Wade, so we have um, political conflicts. Um, and, of course, that's even crossing into moral, but certainly the arena in which it happened was judicial or political um, conflicts. And, uh, yeah, so that was... 
somewhat overcome, kind of passed, kind of passed down to the states. So again, it's not necessarily a clear overcoming, but yeah, for sure. Um, am I love a good movie? How about when the Avengers overcame Thanos? Right? He went for the head. Right? All right? Okay. No, I'm the only one who likes movies. Okay. Um, okay. A few more. Okay. Good. Good. So we have this idea of of overcoming. Um, all right. For you, those biblical scholars, David and Goliath. Right? David overcame Goliath, and uh, that's a great story too. But uh, um, for those who don't watch TV. Um, so I think these things are kind of what inform our ideas of overcoming. Any other ideas that have not that have not been voiced yet? Overcoming temptation. Um, well, I could camp out there for a minute, but yeah. Um, so when we are tempted, you know, James says, you know, we're not a victim; it's of our own lust. We're drawn away and enticed, right? And we should resist that. And we're told when we resist the devil, he will flee from us. And many people talk about, you know, I just can't overcome this temptation. Now, sometimes we have victory and we do overcome, and God sets us free from those things. I've heard Adam's testimony, and uh, it's, it's great to hear those things when God sets you free and delivers you from those things. Amen, brother? Amen. And, um, but I know that, you know, I also know Christians who, you know, are, you know, continually struggle with the besetting sin and they're like, ah, I just, I just can't get victory over it. I'm struggling with it. And our question is, listen, frankly, are you? I'm struggling with this thing. Are you struggling? Or are you just constantly giving place to this? Are you just constantly giving place to this sin? Are you really struggling? Are you trying to overcome it? Now, if you are, hey, I'll help you. you know, let's, let's, let's pray. Let's work together. Let's accountability. There are ways to do that. But the first question is, are you really trying to overcome? Is there a conflict? <laughs> or are you just sort of, you know, just uh, indulging in whatever the this, this sinful action is? You know, because, you know, that's your flesh. Are you just giving place to the flesh? Uh, hopefully there is a conflict. Hopefully you are fighting against that sin. And hopefully you are um, struggling and overcoming that. Um, not through your own efforts, of course, but through Jesus and through the Spirit. Um, so, yeah, overcoming that. Any others quickly before we move on? Like the silverback gorilla versus a grizzly bear. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard some, uh, some discussions on that. They get pretty heated, right? But yeah, so you have this conflict, and that's sort of a simulated conflict because these are typically alpha predators that wouldn't normally interact with each other or be, so you'd have to force them together. Um, but yeah, that's certainly going to inform some of our ideas of overcoming. And, uh, you know, the, the Bible has a lot to say about um, victory, defeating evil, you know, overcoming. These types of ideas are, are throughout Scripture, so it's certainly something that is important for us to understand, you know, what that means, what that looks like. Now, to be clear, this particular passage, as I said, is specifically speaking about overcoming false teachers, the spirit of Antichrist. Um, but the passage is often lumped together with more broad teaching on this idea of overcoming and Christian victory. So I want to just address that briefly as we go into this. Hopefully you'll grant me just a little bit of latitude as everything I want to say is not going to relate exactly to this passage. I understand that. Um, <clears throat> but there are folks who will use this passage and say, look, you know, Christians shouldn't have any trouble. 
They shouldn't have any challenges. They shouldn't have any hardship. They shouldn't have any illness. They shouldn't have anything. It should just be health, wealth, and ease. That's the Christian life. That's what it should be. And if it's not, well, you just need to speak it into existence in Jesus' name and have your faith, and, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Why? Because you've overcome, and greater is he that's in you is greater than he that's in the world. And those are just kind of put forth as platitudes and um, goals to be aspired to. But is that what we should really expect? Number one, it's a challenging position because it's not the reality that we see. Anybody here that would affirm as a, uh, identifies a Christian that would say, yeah, I've actually had hard times in my life? Every person. Right? Every one of us. So if that's not the reality that we see, then what does this mean? Well, not only is it not the reality we see, it's not the reality that Christ told us to expect. Okay, if we look again in John's gospel, John 16, 33, John te- Jesus tells us, in the world you will have tribulation, hardship, difficult times. And he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So this idea of overcoming and the idea of, you know, that... Uh, um, you know, name it and claim it, that uh, there should, you know, if you uh, have enough faith, you'll have no hardship. That's not what's taught in Scripture. That is a misunderstanding of these passages like we see in 1 John 4. So let's dig in just a little bit. <clears throat> why, why would we have tribulation? If, if Jesus has overcome the world, okay, then why would we have tribulation? Why would he tell us to expect that? I mean, what does this overcoming mean? Okay? I think part of it is we misunderstand the purpose of tribulation. Okay? The, the fact is the world does seek to afflict us. The world does seek to oppress us. The world seeks to eliminate us. Okay? Um, so we have that reality. But the other reality is that God uses affliction and tribulation to sanctify us. As part of the process of growth for us is that he uses this tool to make us more like Jesus, to conform us more to his image. So I think we as Christians sometimes have this confusion that when there's a hardship, when there's a tribulation, when there is some sort of um, difficulty that we're facing, that it's always of the world and we're victimized and it's a horrible thing and why would God let this happen to us? The reality is God brought that to us. He may have used the world system to do so, but God brought this to us because what the world meant for evil, God means for good. All right? When we can see numerous examples in Scripture that confirm this in people's lives, the lives of real people. You know when you read the Old Testament, you know those are real people. Right? Those are real people like us. They lived in a different time period, a different part of the world. But those stories that we read about Joseph getting sold by his brothers and, you know, told that his father, that his son, his favorite son died, and then he was in all the, that's a real, that really happened. That happened to a real people involved in those stories. So they're not just fairy tales for us to read to our kids or to learn and, and, you know, to teach our children as they grow up. These are examples for us of faith, for us to understand, you know, that God works through all these things, that what the world means for evil, God means and uses for good. 
Um, Paul puts it this way in Romans 5. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. So we see that this is a whole process that God uses to bring us to the image of Jesus. That he um, brings about endurance and character and ultimately hope and faith and the expectation. So if the biblical victory, the biblical overcoming is not a physical utopia where our life is easy and perfect um, and not a heaven on earth... Then, then what is it? By the way, if our lives were like that, my goodness, can you imagine what sort of people we would be? You know, <laughs> we would be the most arrogant, self-centered people if we never had any challenges. Um, because, I, maybe it's not you, but some people, some people would, not you guys, some people would probably, you know, stop seeing a need for God in their life. You know, and not to be an intentional you know, pushing away, but just a passive drifting away. We saw that the Israelites, you know, when it was easy times, they forsook the Lord. They got distracted by the things around them, the other tribes and nations and gods around them, and they went astray. Not in a hateful way, but just in a passive, ah, things are easy. And so then brought, God brought back hardship, tribulation, judgment. Okay? Not just to vent his wrath like an angry parent who's been pushed to the last nth degree, but as a loving father, he says, listen, you know, that's not, you're going the wrong way. That path leads to destruction. You know, I need to, I'm going to use these to, things to bring you back to me. And so then in those hardship and times of difficulty, that's when we recognize, hey, we don't have it all figured out. Everything we have is from God, and I've been running from him, and I need to run back to him. Not to get more stuff, but just because that's our relationship. So, yeah, so he doesn't give us that. His overcoming the world doesn't result in a perfect utopia for Christians on this earth. So what is it? Well, there's definitely the long view, you know, that Christ is the ultimate victor, that, um, you know, at the end of days, this world will pass away in fire and flame, and, you know, we will be um, with the Lord forever um, in a utopia-type state, in a heaven, in heaven with him. So there is that um, ultimate long view. And for this would kind of be, I almost think, uh, for those who, um, you know, sports analogy, those who aren't really familiar with sports, uh, a lot of times you'll have a regular season, and then based on your performance in the regular season, you may get into the playoffs. And really, once you get into the playoffs, the regular season didn't matter anymore. Okay, And so at some point, if a team does really well early on the season, they may get to the point in, towards the end of the season where these last game or two don't really matter okay? because they're already in the playoffs. They've already made it. But they still have to play these other games out. And you can still get injured. It's still going to be a hard-fought game. You know, it's still, uh, you don't show up, you're not going to get paid. You know, <laughs> there's still the reality of showing up and walking out those games, even though you know the end result. These games, ultimately, in the big scheme of this scene, you know, we're, gonna, we're in the playoffs. These things don't really matter. But here's where we are. We're going to walk through these things. And so in some sense, that's kind of how we can look at things, you know, that we come, the challenges that we come up to now. 
Paul, when he was in the midst of the worst things in prison and uh, on trial and about to be um, killed, he wrote about these things to the church in Philippi. I said, you know, these light and momentary afflictions aren't worthy to be compared with the glory in heaven. I mean, he had as bad as you could get. And he said, these are just light things. They're temporary things. They don't even matter. They can't even be compared to what we are looking forward to. Now, that's a hard attitude to have. But just like we saw that it's a growth point that we get to that point. Hope, the hope that Paul experienced then didn't just come to him all at once. It was a process. Again, that Romans 5 passage, that says, our suffering produces endurance, endurance character, and character produces hope. It's all a growing, sanctifying process. So, in a sense, we can go through these things, these challenges, and say, listen, this is, this is a hard time, and I hate it, but ultimately I know that it doesn't matter. I know that Jesus is the final victor. I know that I'm on the winning side, and I know that my place in heaven is secure. And so there's a sense in which we have to take the long view um, and says, you know, listen, let's don't get bogged down with the, um, these light and momentary things. But, you know, I don't want to just, you know, put forth a platitude and, and a truism and pat people in the head and say, go on and, you know, be better. Because the reality is, when you're in the thick of it, it doesn't feel light. It doesn't feel momentary. When you're in the thick of it, these things are hard. These things are real. So I want us to talk a little bit about this you know, dig in a little bit more to this idea of biblically overcoming. <clears throat> two, two parts to it, um, biblical overcoming. First is preaching the gospel to those in error. Okay, so when we see teachers, you know, these people, again, John was confronting the Gnostics very pointedly, saying, listen, these guys are dead wrong. What they're preaching is straight from the devil straight from the world is anti-Christ, okay? And so when it comes to um, confronting those who are teaching error, we need to do so clearly and decisively. But we can do it civilly, okay? We don't have to be hateful about it. Um, the Bible says our speech should always be full of grace and seasoned with salt so that we are speaking the truth, but we can do it in a way that is loved. Remember, the people who are still in the world system, we were there too. We were there too. So we have no business acting better than them. We're not. You know, God just saved us out of that. And he can save them as well. So we just, we use the foolishness of preaching to, to have that happen. And so we should do that. Um, again, remembering that except for his mercy and grace, we would still be in that. So certainly preaching the gospel to those in error as we've been talking about. The second thing we haven't talked too much about is <clears throat> living out the gospel before those in darkness. Um, biblical overcoming is not like those, you know, um, Jordan Peterson destroys videos. It's not like Avengers destroying Thanos. Our battle strategy is not violence. It's not a war. It's, we don't, we don't, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not physical. Okay, but they are mighty through the Spirit, through Jesus. So, Lots of examples we could give. I think one of the clearest ones I saw um, yesterday when we were at the uh, Love Life Week 40 celebration where I wore my shirt to remind us today. We were there, and um, we heard probably, I don't know, 
almost an hour of testimonies of ladies who had their lives changed. Um, we saw children, babies who were essentially on a death row, you know, ready to be aborted, that were literally snatched from the jaws of death, okay? Um, souls who were saved, not just physical lives saved, but souls that were saved um, through the testimony of the gospel and through um, the ministry of Christians and churches partnering together through Love Life. And that's why we love that ministry. That's why we um, partner with that ministry. <clears throat> Overcoming is not about going and assassinating the abortionist as he drives into work one day. That's not how we fight. Okay? We bring the message of hope and help. Okay? That's the message of the gospel, and that's what we bring in this scenario. And this is, these are the weapons of our warfare. We saw those, heard those powerful stories that remind us of God's love, his mercy, his forgiveness, his restoration. Okay? Um, these are the way we win. We don't overcome to destroy. We overcome to win. Right? We don't just want to you know, see those other folks in the world destroyed. We want to see them granted understanding. We want to see them converted. We want to see them join us. We want to see them understand the gospel and uh, come to understand it and appreciate it as we do so that they stop seeing it as folly and start seeing it as the power of God and to salvation. Um, one of the ways we live this out, and uh, I know we've mentioned this, mentioned this every year a couple times usually, but one of the ways we have taken a, a formal stance to walk this out is by um, partnering with Love Life formerly as a House of Refuge church. Have you all remember hearing that term before, House of Refuge? Yes. <clears throat> no? Not everybody? So this is a, um, a designation church can voluntarily take on um, that says that we want to partner this way and we want to be a... Um, we want to designate our church as a House of Refuge church. And so I'm going to take a minute and explain what that is and uh, just, you know, uh, affirm uh, among us all that this is the attitude and approach that we will take um, specifically towards abortion, but it, it goes much more beyond, beyond this in so many other areas, this whole attitude, this gospel mentality of overcoming in a biblical way. So uh, I'm, going to just, I'm going to read a couple of statements here because this is one of the things we um, uh, agree to do as we become that, to have that badge on our church, the House of Refuge. Um, if you find yourself, so let me, this is to the folks here and people watching online. I want to say if you find yourself in an unplanned pregnancy, please know that being pregnant is not a sin. The child you carry is not a punishment. It's a blessing. God is knitting that child together in your womb. Now, you may have made a sinful decision that led to this pregnancy, or you may have been sinned against, but we want you to know that you are loved, and we will do as a church whatever it takes to help you carry and care for this precious child before and after birth. We can never support or encourage a woman to have an abortion because the child that she carries is made in the image of God and is intrinsically valuable and loved by God. So you need to know what our response will be if you come to us. So some things we won't do. This church family will not gossip about you. 
This church family will not shame you. This church family will not abandon you. Okay, we say we are a house of refuge and we will not allow for the family of God to harm one another with words or actions contrary to the love of God as revealed in his word. There's some things we will do. We will do everything in our power to remove whatever obstacles stand in the way of you having this baby. There are people in this church ready to help, to mentor you, to throw you a baby shower, to connect with resources inside and outside of the church. Okay, um, We heard a testimony yesterday of a lady who went to a crisis pregnancy center. She says, I don't want the Bible. I just need help. She just needed help. And she said, I don't want the Bible. I just need some. Can somebody just help me? People need help. We will help you. And God was gracious. In addition to saving her baby, he brought her understanding of the gospel. And she also is now a believer and a follower of Jesus. But she wasn't looking for that. She was looking for help. So we will connect with resources inside and outside of our church. We will also hold men accountable for living out their calling to provide and protect women and children. And finally, if you have ever had an abortion in your past, we want you to know that abortion is not an unforgivable sin. Whoever confesses and forsakes their sin finds mercy. How many times have we seen that in our study in 1 John? We confess our sin. God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you have never gone through a post-abortion Bible study, we'll be happy to connect you to one so that you can walk in complete healing and freedom. As I said, I want to extend this idea beyond just that of abortion, though. This should be our philosophy. This should be our approach to anyone who's hurting in the church, in our church, who comes to us with any type of thing. I want to say if you're here and you're dealing with hard things, whether it be some besetting sin, whether it be a physical or emotional trauma in your present or in your past, whether you're dealing with fear or depression, um, doubting of your faith, confusion about things, I, I believe I speak for an entire church, but for sure I will not gossip about you. I would not shame you. I will not abandon you. I will pray with you. I will pray for you. And we'll walk through those things with you. <clears throat> this needs to be how this is how we overcome biblically. These are the weapons of our warfare. Love, hope, help, the gospel, prayer. It's not the way anybody would have drawn it up. But it's the way God works. Because he's not looking to destroy. He's looking to win. Right? So our goals are different than a typical conflict in which you're trying to destroy your opponent. Okay, we're trying to win our opponent. And that starts with meeting our needs, living out the gospel before those in darkness. We see it many times in Scripture. You know, I remember Paul and Silas when they were in the jail in Philippi. And uh, the earthquake came, all the shackles fell off. And the jailer wakes up and says, oh, my goodness, everybody's got away. I might as well just kill myself. And Paul's like, don't hurt yourself. Look, we're all here. We're all here. Don't hurt yourself. Listen. And he's like, what in the world? He knew Paul and Tyson's testimony. What was his response to that? When he sees the gospel walked out, because he knows, man, if those shackles have fallen off, he would have been out of there. 
You know, never catch me again. You know, like the gingerbread man. He's out of there. Okay? So when he saw these, these men didn't leave, his response was, what must I do to be saved? He knew their message. He knew what they believed. But it wasn't until he saw it walked out in, in the life that, that met his need that he responded in faith. Good Samaritan, you know, he met the physical needs of that man in the ditch. A lot of people down the ditch in this world. And as Christians, are we helping them get them out of those things? Are we just sort of walking by with the platitude, ah, good luck, God bless, and a passing comment? This is hard. But this is how we overcome biblically. This is what our weapons of our warfare are. So we've covered quite a few things here this morning. So does anybody have any questions or comments about any of these things? About these lines that were sharpened of um, antichrist, really, those who are against Christ, or about overcoming in general. I don't want you just to hear anything I said as a truism or as a nice thing to say, kind words. I mean, this is, this is where we live. All right, well, I'm always open to discuss these things. Um, you know, so uh, if, if I've said things that made you think or made you wonder or question or made you angry, uh, <laughs> let's talk about it.